Welcome, everyone, to another brand spanking new episode of Cocktail Hour. I am your host. My name is Sam Snelling. With me is my good friend from Indianapolis, Indiana, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. Um, glad to have you back. Um, glad to see that uh, you know Cocktail Hour has really taken off and been a hit with viewers <laughs> and listeners. Um, the mail we're getting has just been fantastic. And, you know, who could have foreseen, you know, that this change in branding and in content, you know, w- we thought, we thought Grizz Cuts was going to be great, but who knew, <laughs> but who knew that um, a podcast solely de- dedicated to bourbon would catch on the way it has with Missouri fans. I couldn't have anticipated it. Uh, so are you drinking right now? Oh, uh, no, I had a cocktail earlier in the evening. I, or I had a drink. So, what I, was in your glass then? Uh, Eagle Rare was in my glass earlier. Nice. Yeah. Um, the The fortunate thing was uh, we finally found a bottle here um, for forty five dollars, which um, is probably like what ten bucks over what MSRP is for the thing. Like, yeah, what, I think so. But it's basically disappeared in Indianapolis, and I found a place here that gets it regularly, and so I decided to buy a bottle, and so we have. We, we started on that. So that's what uh, I enjoyed earlier this evening. I think I still have a bottle uh, that that is yours in my cabinet. Yeah, I need to collect that from you. Uh, and we have a bottle of a dickle that is yours. So we have, we're holding bottles hostage right now. <laughs> <laughs> or we haven't bartered them yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned about my, my George Dickel, I'll be honest. I've, I want to make sure it... it you know, it finds its way back into my hands without uh, without seeing any losses. Uh, it, it, you know, we we respect the integrity of other people's property <laughs> in this household, so um, it, it'll come back to you uh, unmolested. The, it will not have been tampered with, opened. There will not be a drop missing. Uh, you'll get to enjoy all of that sweet nectar. Well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna talk about the. The wonderful versatility of Wild Turkey 101. It's 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 really good. I I, I you know I. So it, for your for your money, um, like for for me right now, Wild Turkey 101, I would consider it my favorite sort of mid to low twenties bottle. Uh, so I think most places you can probably buy it. I think the high end is probably going to be like 26, 27. Most places are going to have it 22, 23. If you can find it cheaper than that, please let me know. Um, but uh, but I'm a fan because not only is it a great sipper with very little ice. I, I feel like I only need a a single cube, and it just it's smooth um, that way. But it, because it is a a higher rye bourbon, it also makes really really nice cocktails. And so tonight. Uh, I am drinking a cocktail that some may be familiar with. It's called the Old Pal, uh, and it is a it is similar to a Negroni uh, for people that are familiar with Negronis. Uh, but instead of gin, the substitute there is um, is bourbon, and uh, it's there is a variance because uh, an exact replica of um, the Negroni to a uh, to a bourbon drink is actually a boulevardier where you get the uh, the, the sweet vermouth and the, the Campari. Uh, an old pal actually subs out sweet vermouth for, for dry vermouth. 
Uh, so you get a little bit of a, a, a drier, you know, drink on the palate. But uh, it's for me, it's a little bit more of a summery drink than uh, than the Boulevardier, which is super hearty and I think kind of goes better in fall and winter. So that's what I'm drinking currently, uh, and it's delicious. Wild that's Turkey, it. 101 for the win. Um, also, I would suggest uh, if you want to step up, up to the next level there in that kind of wild turkey family, look at the Russell's 10-year. Um, that's about $35 a bottle. Um, and I've had uh, only briefly like a little... It wasn't even like I would say a full serving of it was just a portion of um, the rare breed is really really good. So um, wild turkey rare breed is one of those things like that's on my list because you know me like I'm a big fan of of you know barrel strength uh, you know bourbon and I have not picked up a bottle of rare breed but it is on my list of things to buy. Uh, so and with my birthday coming up, uh, who knows? Maybe I will uh, on my. My next bourbon hunt decide, you know what, I'm just going to pull the trigger on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The one thing I would say, too, is I, I kind of, I have not had 101 in a while, but one that's comparable to it is one that's on our, that we have stocked well here is the Heaven Hill Green Label Six Year. And so it's comparable in flavor profile and, and mouthfeel and stuff, and it's only $13. So if you get to Kentucky, buy yeah. that. And it's, <laughs> I was going to uh, say, that's a Kentucky-only purchase these days. It is. And I'm thankful that we only live an hour and 40 minutes away from it. And uh, we like to go to Louisville. So we can regularly stock it. But it's it's probably a you know, $25 or $30 bourbon that you can get for $11.99 or $12.99. So it's uh, ridiculously uh, value, affordable to great value. So well, I, I think mean, we talked about that in a, in a previous podcast. We talked we about did. the Heaven Hill 7 year, which they uh, decided to increase the price of um, by like... Thirty dollars a bottle, and now it's like forty-five dollars for that bottle. And, and you change the packaging. You can get the six-year for fifteen bucks. <laughs> it's fantastic. So, <laughs> um, Heaven Hill, that branding worked well for you. It did not work well for me. But uh, uh, you know, it's proximity is my friend in this case. Proximity is my friend. But you know, uh, I guess we should also talk about basketball. Our listeners also appreciate that. <laughs> Don't well, they? so yeah, so I realize like the theme is is Ben Cocktail Hour. Uh, we're actually on uh, episode twenty nine of season three of Dive Cuts. Uh, so this is twenty nine. We've got one more episode uh, for the season. We're gonna hit thirty, and then it flips to season four because uh, I think we originally said that uh, August is when we were going to basically start the new season. It's it's completely arbitrary, but that's that's what we're doing. August starts a new season, uh, so season four will be out in a few weeks. But in the meantime, we're still in season three, talking about season three stuff. Matt, what's going on? Uh, Kobe Bufkin <laughs> is not picking the University of Missouri. Uh, let's let's just let's just jump cut right into that. Um, recruiting news, uh, any news given the current state of the world and uh sports in general you know kind of you'll take any tidbit you can but uh earlier this week uh, missouri uh, saw a target go off the board um at a position of need in the 2021 class kobe bufkin uh, a guard out of uh, grand rapids michigan uh trimmed his list down to five schools um although you and i would would say that that's window dressing 
Um, <laughs> so I've how heard... how long has the destination? Uh, I I don't want to say been known because I think at this point people assume. Uh, I started is. hearing. I started hearing late last week, so that it's probably been known before that. So yeah, and it was probably reasonable to assume that once Michigan, you know, really threw its full weight into recruiting. Kobe Bufkin, whose family is a big fan of Jawan Howard, big fan of the program and the staff that was there, and has largely, I think, stayed intact since um, John Beeline moved on. It's it was a question of when Michigan got involved, you know, how quickly and how seriously would that go? It appears like that's now hit the appropriate escape velocity, and he's going to probably pull the trigger for Michigan on Friday. Um, he put out a top five graphic, like I said, I believe yesterday, um, and it it listed Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, LSU, and DePaul. Missouri was not on that graphic. Um, I don't know if you should really take offense to that, given that um, Michigan's probably going to be the likely spot and is a fo- and seems like a foregone conclusion um, by anyone who's followed the recruitment, but. I guess it's natural for folks to also be upset that Missouri didn't have a cool, you know, wasn't included on a slick edit. So, but it's, <laughs> it's all, it's all about the top five, man. Got to make the top a, five. Got to make the top five. Um, but I, I think this is getting to a point now where, and, and I think you and I talked about this even as far back as last year after we came back from the elite 100 and watched you know, Brooks, Bufkin, and Akins, you know, Pierre Brooks, Jaden Akins, Kogan, Bufkin, that prying those three guys out of Michigan was going to be a tough task if, you know, Sparty and, you know, the Wolverines showed real interest there. Pierre Brooks, even as far back as last year, was considered a Michigan State lean. And once, you know, that recruitment really, you know, got to the point where the offer was actually committable and, you know, a take was there. And, you know, in April, they decided that they wanted to take the assurances of having that. He committed. Um, Jaden Akins looks like he's probably going to be headed to Michigan. I'm, I'm sorry. Kobe Bufkin looks like he's probably headed to Michigan. And realistically, the question is, Jaden Akins, who's considered a Michigan State lean, going to pop for the Spartans? Um, or, I, I heard from, or. Or. Is does, it possible? <laughs> is it possible that that maybe the roster there is a little too loaded for Jaden, Matt? Is it possible? Maybe the style of play isn't quite what he's looking for. Potentially, potentially, potentially. that's a possibility. But that is a possibility because <laughs> that is a possibility, and we will we will entertain this. Theore- as a theoretical exercise, this is <laughs> as, a theoretical as mu- exercise. As much as you can uh, enjoy this in theory, uh, I've yeah. yeah. I mean, we kind of well, talked about this the other day. Like, if he, I'll be stunned if Akins doesn't end up at at uh, yeah. at Michigan State. It's stunned, as will I. But it is not a lie to say that Rocket Watts is on the roster. AJ Hoggard is going to be coming as a freshman combo guard. He's a top 75 prospect. They landed commitments from Max Christie, a top 15 guard. 
and from, as we mentioned earlier, Pierre Brooks, another guard. So Brooks is a little bit more of like a wing. wing. Oh, and, like and a, Christy, Christy can kind of flex around wherever you need him to. But point being, the backcourt depth is is going to be pretty. You know, I don't think anybody, ex, you know, ex, we'll have to see what Watts does this year. Maybe Watts decides to jump to the pros if he has a monster sophomore year. But you know, you're looking at a roster that essentially has five guards that are all going to be underclassmen or are going to be four who will be underclassmen. So it's, it's, it'll be a little bit of a crowded house there. Um, you know, if you look over in Ann Arbor, not so crowded, Eli Brooks and, and Columbia grad transfer, Mike Smith are both going to be gone after this season. Um, Michigan has a freshman Zeb Jackson who's coming in and that would pretty much be the only like point guard combo guard they'd have on the roster. After Buffkin commits, they're at two. But basically, ironically, I think Ann Arbor may have more room for him than, which doesn't help matters anyway. And also, keep in mind that he and Buffkin have been teammates on the family for a couple of years. They're used to playing alongside each other. They're used to splitting ball handling duties, trading out roles. So, point being, if he's if he doesn't like Michigan State, Michigan will gladly take him too. So. It's. I think the possibility of pulling pulling one of those guys out is looking really, really remote. Um, so. So I mean, it basically looks like you know the the story in Michigan is going to end up being that you know Missouri is uh, is probably not going to land any of those guys. Uh, you're basically hoping that you know Aikens doesn't like the situation at. Michigan State with the number of guards that they have and that maybe Michigan takes somebody else at his position before he has a chance to commit. At that point, maybe you hop in. But I think it's pretty clear that you know Missouri and what they're looking for in the rest of the 21 class, they have a combo guard already committed and one that you and I both really like. Um, but I still think they're looking for one more guy. And I think that guy is, is uh, the, the, the prime, prime target is Tamar Bates. Um, and he was the guy that always made the most sense, I think, for all of us. Um, you know, he's a he's a KCK kid. Uh, he's heading to IMG Academy, so uh, he's going to be p- playing a little bit bigger of a stage, so he has a chance to kind of raise his profile. But, uh, you know, without the summer session kind of being available, without a whole lot of scouting happening in the fall... Uh, you don't really know what kind of progress he's made as a player, and so it's it's also kind of flatlined his recruitment. Um, step in Missouri, yeah, and chances are he's probably going to commit, you know, and and sign before he he plays another basketball game. Um, so you know, really, so, you're hoping it yeah. stays a regional recruitment. You're hoping that you know it, it had been considered that he was sort of a, a lock to Kansas. But the question, I guess, there is, does the uncertainty around, you know, what the NCAA is going to do to that program maybe cause some hesitation? Um, I know Creighton's recruited him really hard. Um, Oklahoma State's recruited him really hard. Um, Northwestern's been on him hard, but Northwestern looks like it's going to have filled up its backcourt. So what we're saying is that you're hoping that, you know, the, he and his family are comfortable enough with Consul Martin, that they're comfortable enough with the role that's here. Um, now the question we could talk about is, you know, 
will Martin eventually, if he doesn't have a good year this year, wind up on a hot seat? Maybe. I mean, I don't think you can ever rule that out. You know, we've seen just awful luck for him so far. But realistically, like, the question is, if you're looking around for a stable situation and, you know, one that's going to afford you a lot of minutes or going to afford you a clear role, Missouri could offer him that. So I think that that's, that's what you're hoping for in that kind of situation there. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, does, you know, you know, I'd read that some guys are looking at, you know, locking down and trimming lists earlier and getting their spots secured now in the summer. And some other guys may say, you know what? I want to wait until the spring. I want to wait until I can actually play games and, you know, put my stock out there and see what I can do. And, you know, maybe some coaches are going to want to be a little bit more flexible with guys because they want to be able to watch guys play live. They want to be able to scout. They want to be able to get eyes on guys. So maybe I think there's a little bit more comfort from both parties to let this thing go into the spring. So it'll be interesting to see well, how that and plays there's out. Re- there's also really no telling at this point, you know, like when we're going to be able to play games again. I mean, I think we're all hopeful, and I think everyone's planning for a regular start, you know, but, you know, the reality of the situation is is we do not have coronavirus under control in this country and it's going to uh impact a lot of things until we do have it under control and it, it, it's going to impact whether or not i mean like you just look at the professional leagues right now and the nba is trying to start up uh major league baseball is trying to start up uh meanwhile like college programs have fully shut down workouts because of people testing positive and there's just so much right now, and you know we're recording this Wednesday, Ju- July eighth. Um, we have a long way to go uh, <laughs> until until like we know whether or not we're even going to have sports in the fall. And I actually I like the idea of both college football and college basketball just pushing back. Um, you know, like if we could just. I think the main reason why college football is like so gung ho about trying to make sure that, you know, they're playing in the fall is because everyone like loves the idea of like the, you know, the bowl games on, you know, uh, New think, Year's Day. I, and like, I think, I think it's more financial. I think they just don't want to have shotgun blasts put through their budgets. I, I think. Well, that, right. And I, well, I think what I'm, I think we agree. What I'm saying is I think the financial aspect of having that time of year solely for college football is very lucrative and very attractive and they want to adhere to that timeline as much as possible um where even though it makes a whole lot more sense and like ivy league schools have already said look we're not we're not having any fall sports no fall sports so if you're in the fall like there's no ivy football there's no ivy volleyball there's and basketball is in question. Like they're they're not going to have basketball in the fall. So if your school has an Ivy League school scheduled in November, that game's not happening. Like the Ivy Leagues have already announced that. So now you're looking, and and this is like I actually like the idea of college basketball pushing back. I've always kind of hated the fact that they play uh, like half or more of their non-conference schedule with no kids on campus. Now, you know, like you kind of get into and, and uh, talked about like, you know, they have all these neutral site games and, and tournaments and all that kind of stuff. 
you know, but the reality is, is like you you want to have home games uh, in December where students are on campus and they're for the most part they're all gone, um, whether you're Missouri or anybody else. And so I I have always th- thought that college basketball would be so much better served if it started in January uh, and they got some early non-conference games, like things like like right after the college football season wraps up or even like the week of the championship game or something like that. Like that's when they start up and they really kind of get people excited. And then you carry that momentum on into January. And then you're, you're looking at uh, conference play starting in March, April, you're wrapping up in, in May and then you have championships in June. Like I think that that timeline makes so much more sense to me. Um, and this is somebody who, you know, is, you know, played basketball, and I like. I always thought it was weird anytime we would travel to warmer weather states, and, and it was like warm outside, and we're getting ready for basketball because basketball to me was always a cold weather sport. Um, but, I think it's going to be. I think that what'll be interesting to see is for a, a kid like Bates, if we're talking about the scheduling stuff, is. IMG plays in that. IMG is in Florida, which would you feel comfortable sending your kid to Florida right now? Um, even if you know a school like IMG, which has all the resources in the world, is making accommodations for that, you're still sending an 18 year old kid to Florida. So that just that alone should you know be a, a cause for risk assessment. Um, but even then. IMG travels all over the place. They play a national schedule. Like, do you want your kid, or does IMG want to put, you know, kids that are, you know, top 100 basketball players that are, if we're going to be crass, valued commodities at risk by traveling (laughs) them around the country on planes to states with other 18-year-old kids who... So that's where I think you get into the question of if you are a prospect... You want to play and raise your stock, but are you? Is it even going to be possible? Uh, you know, assuming that adults are responsible and making prudent decisions and following, you know, the guidelines of public health officials and epidemiologists and all and you know, medical professionals, are you even going to be allowed to do that? So I think that's that's where you get into this sort of bind, and we, where I think Missouri is right now, and why the Bufkin decision to kind of link this together kind of illustrates the issue Missouri's having right now where guys are going off the board and you know Missouri's got I think like 15 guys left that are reasonable that are that are holding offers from them you can consider maybe five or six of them to be realistic targets and if you think about it that includes a guy like David Joplin Missouri has not scouted David Joplin live it includes a kid like Zach Hicks they have not scouted him live. You know, if they're still pursuing Logan Landers, they have not scouted him live. So you're starting to get into a position where if you're going to take guys, you're gonna, are you going to have to take them without ever having watched them play a game? You know, if a kid calls you up and you like him and he, you know, he says, hey, I want to take the scholarship, you know, I think that's an interesting case to be made right now for them. And, you know, with Bufkin... They had at least had a, last summer to scout him. They had an entire prep season 
you know, they had last fall when Corn could go up and watch open gyms. He could go up and watch, you know, live games. They had enough eyeball sort of assessment of a guy to make those judgments. So I think that's what's really interesting here is, okay, Kobe Bufkin's off the board. Tamar Bates is a guy they know. They've watched Tamar Bates. They would love to see what he's doing now, but I'm more worried about the other. I'm more fascinated by the other parts of the board where they haven't scouted other guys in 2021 yet and how they really sort of adjust to that. And then we saw them also, I think, do take another interesting step this week, and we this seems like a good time to talk about it as well. You know, reaching out to Hampton transfer Benjamin Stanley, a combo forward who, um, you know, is interesting in a certain way because he put up monster numbers at Hampton, but you can look at the competition he played and sort of balance that out. But um, <laughs> yeah, Hampton, Hampton's not out exactly out there like playing Murderer's Row. Like it's a, it's a, it's a weak schedule. Yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll try and be smoother about this. Uh, this is cocktail hour, though. You know, we don't talk about basketball very often, so forgive us if we're. Not smooth with that. Um, We're trying trying to catch up. Trying to trying to get our feet wet with this whole basketball podcasting thing. Um, Ben Stanley, 6'6", 225. Um, Redshirt sophomore. Redshirt his freshman year there. Um, Had a modest freshman campaign and then just blew up last year. Averaged 22.5 points. I think like 7.4 rebounds. Um you, you look at his synergy profile and you watch him on tape and it's pretty obvious what his skill set is. He's really, really good uh, in pick and rolls as a roll man. Um, he shot uh, 63.6% and averaged 1.07, about 1.8 points per possession. Um, so that's really good. And in pick and pops, he shot 52%. And that's, that's also really, really good for a guy who um, is an undersized big. Uh, he does post up. But he his repertoire is pretty obvious. He either wants to work to a baby hook or he wants to face up a bigger defender and he wants to attack along the baseline. Um, then he's another guy who is like a lot of bigs these days. He's a guy you find flashing into the short corner and scoring on rim runs. Um, basically, uh, he's a guy who you don't have initiate offense or who you isn't the primary uh guy in an action all the time but he still gets a ton of usage for them i think he was around 27 percent usage and played a gobsmacking 90 percent of available minutes for hampton so maybe he always wasn't like getting a high ball screen and driving but he was either in a pick and roll he was either getting a post up and facing or he was getting a catch on a rim run he was getting a lot of touches th- through those parts of the offense um so, Sam, I was just sort of curious, what just your thoughts on Stanley's game? Do, are, are we seeing the same type of player here? A guy who is, you know, maybe not going to be someone who you want to have initiate offense, but you can find a way to fit him in to certain actions and really, you know, have, have a use for him. Well, so my, uh, I think a current example of on the roster is somebody that I would, you know, consider... He's like a, a bigger, probably better finishing version of like Javon Pickett. He's a good athlete. Uh, he has some nice bounce. Um, he's a little bit more of like a, a combo forward. And I think, you know, Pickett's probably a, more of a straight wing. Um, but I don't really think he's a guy that you're 
hoping is going to come in and produce anything close to like what he produced at Hampton. I mean, I, I think if he's going to come in, uh, you know, if you can get him immediately eligible, great, you know, but he's already got uh, one, one red shirt year. And so for anybody that doesn't know the, the, the rule in the NCAA, NCAA generally is you have five years to play four seasons. Um, if you kind of run up against that, you know, then you have to apply for waivers. Um, you know, so he's a guy that I think if you're going to recruit, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to, uh, to try and get, you know, somebody who's athletic and looks like he can rebound and, and finish around the rim. Um, but you're going to do it in, in a, in a way that he's not going to be anywhere close to as high usage as he's been at Hampton. And I, I don't know. I, I would kind of pump the brakes when it comes to like the level of interest that I have in adding him to the roster. I think that if you're Missouri right now and you're looking um, to try to kind of flesh out next year's team, um, I don't re- like. I really just don't think there's a lot that Missouri needs to add to what they have. Like I, I feel like they should be pretty confident in the roster that they have as far as the bodies that they have. Uh, and I don't necessarily, I'm not trying to fool anybody into thinking that, um, that this is like, you know, a top 10 team or anything, but Missouri's roster is pretty solid as long as everybody's healthy. And if everybody's healthy, then I think you have to be happy. I don't know that this guy adds that much, even if he were immediately eligible. And if he's not eligible right away, then you're taking him for, uh, a year. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm super excited about the possibility of, of adding him. I would rather probably try to wait for like a mid-year guy, um, see what shakes loose, uh, around. Yeah. You know, it's just like, I, I think that they're, I, and I still think there, you know, are a couple guys out there, uh, you know, if they wanted to add like your and I, um, the Oklahoma State transfer, like I would much rather add somebody like that, a guy who has been a proven producer at the Power Five level. Uh, you know, he, he's he's not a guy who's going to be a like a great far and away addition. He's not going to blow you away, but production from the center spot in like high major, like you can't you can't like just turn that away. If you can get that guy, I think you take him. Well, this is the and I posed this to you before we went on air, like. If you come to Missouri, and I, and I wrote about this this spring, we know, I mean, there's data that tells us that minutes per game drops, usage drops, scoring drops for, for most guys who up-transfer. And the margin gets bigger the more places in Kimpom you jump. So if you're jumping 50 places in Kimpom, your old team was like 150, and you're jumping to Missouri, which is 97. You know, you'll see a, a modest decrease, but you can largely look at that stat line which was like we were doing with Justin Turner and see, and you can watch Justin Turner's tape too and go, okay, yeah, that's a guy who maybe isn't going to get 19 points a game at Missouri, but he's going to get 15. He's going to be a 14, 15 point a game guy. The margin, the drop gets bigger the more you go. You know, if you're in the position that Missouri's in right now, it's a 212 spot jump from Hampton to Missouri. So even if you don't think Missouri was great last season, it was still 212 spots ahead of Hampton. Hampton played 
I looked at this up. They lost six games to sub-300 teams. And in those games, good old Mr. Stanley averaged 25.8 points per game. They, they lost those games when he was putting up 26 points for them. They only played five games against Kim Palm top 150 teams. And he clips 20 points in all those games, but he did it on basically 30-plus percent usage. That's not going to happen. He's not going to come to Missouri, a six foot six, undersized combo forward, and get nearly 30% touches, 30% of Missouri's touches against Illinois, which is what he got this year. So the question then becomes, if he's a guy who's going to see his usage and his minutes and all that stuff drop, if you're going to take your NA, who I think was like an, an eight-point-per-game guy and a rim protector and a rebounder, and Stanley's averaging 10 points, eight boards, you might want to take your NA because he's, he's, like you said, he's a little bit more proven at the Power 5 level, physically kind of matches the profile of the position that you're going to ask him to play. So I think that's why I would take if it was feasible, we haven't seen any reporting though that they're indicating that they're interested in an A. But I think that's that's really the the thing I have to keep in mind with the caveat here is the jump he's going to make in terms of competition, in terms of role, and in terms of usage is going to be so could be so large that the gaudy stat line really obscures what he would be in this program. Um, and I would rather maybe hold off a bit, keep that scholarship open, like you said, because given what's happening right now with COVID-19 and given how guys have had to commit, maybe some guys don't like the fit at mid-year at their current spot. Maybe they felt under the gun and they committed and they don't like it and they want to find a new home. Maybe you have a guy that gets shaken loose that way. And, you know, I think we're going to see next spring, maybe the transfer market be a little bit more robust because, again, guys are going to, you know, maybe be looking for better fits. So, I think you well, and also the eligibility question will I be think resolved. A lot of people expect right. immediate eligibility ne- not, next year. Guys will be immediately eligible, and you won't have to be fighting through the waiver issue. So, you know, if they take Stanley, if like it gets to the point where he comes here, I think it's just important that you sort of <laughs> keep in mind what the expectations should be for him, and I think they should be more modest than some people would expect looking at his stat line. Um, but. I'm inclined to maybe hold off a bit and see what, see what they can find down the line. So, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be honest. I just don't really think that for the position that he plays and what he does, I just I don't know that that's what Missouri needs. Um, maybe he's role like, man? I mean, maybe he's a a better version than what they have in the roster. But you know, I I kind of like you know that that Kobe Brown is. Uh, sort of this wing combo forward swing guy who can handle the ball. And, and certainly, you know, Brown projects and has the potential uh, to be a much more well, well-rounded player than a, a much older uh, version of, uh, of him right now, which, you know, the, um, you know, being a, a third year player. So going into his, his, you know, fourth year, um, that's just, that's somebody that has, some years in his body already. And, and I still think that we don't know what Kobe Brown's ceiling is. And Missouri seems to be very high on him. And that's in that summer position. I think Kobe Brown's skill set uh, is wider and he's bigger than what this guy provides. So I, you know, it's just like if, if it came down to like an open scholarship 
or take the guy. I mean, yeah, maybe take the guy, but I don't, I don't know that this is like go out of your way to get excited about. No, and I also think you're, you're looking at who they're recruiting at the combo forward spot now. You know, we, we're both really high on David Joplin, who they're. Oh man, the, like if 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 taking this, like I'm sorry, I keep forgetting his name. Um, ben Stanley. Ben Stanley. If taking Ben Stanley uh, would have any impact on potentially losing David Joplin, I would say don't do it. Like, I really, really like David Joplin. Yeah, and even then, there's uh, Zach Hicks out of New Jersey who I think profiles maybe more towards the wing element, but a six-seven knockdown shooter who's growing into his body who has a ton of length. You know, I know you're not maybe as high on Hicks, but you look at both even Joplin, Brown, and and Hicks, you know, I think you, you look at the, that kind of group of guys and you think, okay, I'm more intrigued with the, with those skill sets than an undersized four man. So I think... I will say, like, I I do... Uh, I'm, I'm not a huge uh, fan of Hicks as far as, like, you know, his uh, his ceiling and all that kind of stuff. But I do like a little bit more if he's a guy you can bring in and, and redshirt. Because I, I know that he's young for his grade. He's still kind of growing into his body. Uh, so if you can bring him in and redshirt him, then I like that move a little bit more. Um, I just, I mean, like this this class is just full of like these unranked guys who I really like. Uh, I think you and I were kind of talking about this the other day. Like, you know, like Logan Landers is unranked, and I I think that kid's just going to be a really really good college player. Uh, yeah, like I I love. David Joplin, like, I mean, if Missouri could have David Joplin and Anton Brookshire as, like, the starting twosome of this class, like, I'm excited about that class. And, and you know, Brookshire is a guy, I mean, we've talked about him him plenty, but and he's ranked top 100 in ESPN, but ESPN's rankings are always kind of an outlier. Um, I think Torrance Watson was top 100, uh, top 60? Top, no, top 70, maybe 80. Um, somewhere in there. Uh so like their rankings are always a little bit of an outlier. Um, I just think like ESPN doesn't put the money into recruiting that two four seven and Rivals does. Uh, so you tend to get more uneven results. But um, but like we said, if if you have a class, of well Yaya, yeah, if you have a class so, of Yaya Keita, David Joplin, and Anton Brookshire, again, I that's understand a people. really good class. Like I like I still think you want one more really good high potential guard. If you can, like, if you have Bates in the in the in this class, with Brookshire, Joplin, and Kada, to me, like, that is a rock star class. And and it's not it's not a class that's gonna excite anybody. It's not like no one's gonna be doing hula hoops. But the foundation of that class and what it can give this program and its future, like, I I think that that is a terrific terrific class. Yeah, and so that that's really the question that you're make that we're talking about here is. If you want to make the, where do you want to put your investment? And, you know, is it with one year of Stanley or is it, and is that worth the trade off of potentially not, uh, of crowding the rotation to where you're crowding out somebody like Joplin or Cato? So that, that's really, I think, what we're getting at. Um, but it, who knows where that's going to be? They just apparently reached out to him yesterday. You know, you can call somebody doesn't mean the recruitment's going to go that much further. But I think it's worth at least, you know, kicking around Stanley and what he sort of represents. Um, 
Yeah, I think uh, I think, I think the... maybe Borzello had a tweet today that listed like the schools that have reached out, and uh, the it was like you know Georgetown and Maryland and like a couple other schools. I think Oregon was one of them. There's like and and some other schools. Missouri wasn't listed, and I, it's pretty clear that there were some other schools at that point. So I I mean we talked about him a lot. I, it would seem to me that. He's probably based upon where the schools are contacting him. He's probably going to stay more on the East Coast. Uh, that's kind of where Hampton is already, so it seems like a natural fit. Um, and I don't know, like area, so. I, I mean, I'm I'm fine with that. Like I'm, I'm not uh, heartbroken about missing out on Ben Stanley. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that we've neglected to mention? Anything that we have not touched on? Um, that you feel is, is salient for folks before you uh, finish off your old pal? <laughs> well, um, I mean, there's always stuff that we can talk about, Matt. Um, I do think that, you know, we kind of touched on the coronavirus stuff. Uh, I still think that we're a little ways out from really knowing what it all kind of means. So maybe, uh, maybe we'll save that for like a... a big busting episode one of season four uh so yeah we are going to be taking um requests because each season comes a new um dive cuts theme song so if you want to send me some some requests i will take them on twitter i have i have a song in mind so your request may be completely ignored if it's bad but if it's good i'll consider it against one that I've got in mind, and if it's better, then then you you might have your uh, your request fulfilled, and then get a whole season of dive cuts podcasts with with your requested song. And no, Matt, it's not a song by the National. I wouldn't want to have the National leading us in either. I tend I tend to think this is a hip hop uh, podcast, so we're gonna stick with the hip hop. It's it's so send me your hip hop requests, any kind of, uh, you know, good beat from the, uh, what was the earliest? I think we had one from like the late eighties at one point. Um, you, you do all the song stuff here. Um, my, uh, I do like, yeah, I, I let you do that. Our, uh, our, our indie music tastes diverge. So it's like, uh, so I'm what I would pick. Not really? Like I, I, I like all, all the stuff you like. I just when it when it comes to, when it comes to the intro of the podcast, like I feel like I I need some energy, and uh, so you and, don't want the Smiths' pretty girls make graves. No, like, leading you know. us in. That's yeah, like I, that's fine. That's fine. We won't do that. Um, you know, I should we should try and find some old. Uh, we should try and find something that's got like a New Orleans influenced Trigger Man beat. I feel like that would be just a peppy way to. To kick off the yeah. pod, <laughs> just just take it back. And I'm not even talking like no limit stuff. I'm saying earlier than that. Let's go way back. Let's go way way back in the hip hop canon out of the Crescent City. So, if you... uh, I'm I'm open to any and all requests. Um, I think our, our friend Chester uh, may like my idea, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna broadcast it. Um, but it's something that he mentioned i think yet like a few weeks back on twitter and i'm like oh that would be a really good intro song um 
but yeah, I, it, I, I, I am a, a hip hop fan of all ages. Uh, and he starting all the way back to like the late seventies, early eighties, taking me through up to current. Um, I, I like to get a little bit more indie, so uh, it's going to be like, uh, it's not likely that you're going to be like, Hey, put some Drake on there or something like that. Or, uh, anything that that's like overly mainstream. So I think we've done uh, Eric B and Mad Villain. Uh, we do MF and, Doom. Can we find some MF Doom, perhaps? Yeah, uh, MF Doom. I think was season two. Oh, that's right. We already used MF Doom. Uh, and I, <laughs> I'm actually kind of blanking. I think, uh, I think this season is most deaf. Yeah. So. Yeah. We did most of this. We did most of this. Season. We have we yeah. cl- we clearly have a uh, have a uh, wheelhouse that we're operating in. But send us suggestions. Sam will sift <laughs> through them. And uh, you can at me on Twitter at Sam T Snelling. Uh, always willing to talk hip hop. If you can wade through my my uh, horrible scaring off all my Twitter followers' uh, political opinions. You know that's your decision, man. I'm. It's your decision. Um, all right, I say we get out of here and uh, let. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't. Day. I don't have anything else I need to talk about. We've got to save something for for a couple weeks. So my birthday is also next week. Um, I will probably uh, be out bourbon hunting. So if uh, you have any th- any spots you want to send me, to, like let me know. Uh, I will probably swing by. Um, two weeks from now, we will be back for the final episode of season three. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. That's Matt Harris at Matt J. Harris 85. Uh, don't follow either of us. It's a waste of time. Uh, tweet all your angry responses at Mitchell. He's responsible for this badness. Uh, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for tuning in.